I'm James Bryan Smith. Welcome to the Things Above podcast. You are listening to Episode 5. If you missed the pilot episode and this is your first time listening, this is a podcast for what I call Mind Discipleship. It's a podcast for those who want to learn how to set their minds on things above, which comes from Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2. Every few episodes of this podcast, I will have a guest who I will interview, and I call these Things Above Conversations. So, welcome to the very first Things Above Conversation. So my first ever guest on this podcast is Emily P. Freeman. Welcome, Emily. Hey, Jim. I'm so glad to be here. Yes, I've been looking forward to this. So let me just uh, tell our audience a little bit. You're a wife, a mother, a blog writer, author of several books, and the host of one of my favorite podcasts, The Next Right Thing, which I dearly love. In fact, I love it so much that this podcast, The Things Above Podcast, follows your basic format and style. Uh, and if imitation is the highest form of flattery, I do hope you are flattered. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, if you like this podcast, you will likely really enjoy Emily's podcast. Again, it's called The Next Right Thing. So check that out. Emily, I'm a big fan of uh, your book as well, Simply Tuesday, and I'm almost through with it. I have to be honest, I haven't read the entire book yet, but I've read the vast majority. And um, I just think it's... Um, such an important book, so timely for our culture. And I won't say why I let you share that and, and let the listeners pick up on that. But um, explain to our guests what the Tuesday way is. Yeah. So it's funny, you know, when you think about the week, Tuesday is kind of the most regular day of the week. Every other day kind of has its thing. I mean, even Wednesday is, you know, it gets to be like, it's Wednesday, we're halfway through. And then I feel like Thursday always gets to be like the best night for TV, or at least it used to be back when Thursday was a good TV night. And then of course we know like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the weekend, Monday at least gets the advantage of like being the first day of the week and we're getting started. But Tuesday is sort of like, it's the day that you won't have a party, but maybe you'll send out the invitations. It sort of has become for me, and I think for a lot of people, just sort of a representation of our regular everyday life. And so when I think about, you know, where, where's the most likely place that we meet God, it's in those everyday moments, because most of our lives don't happen in the bright, exciting moments, or even in the dark, sad, difficult moments, although a lot of those moments come. But really, when we look at our lives, most of our lives are lived in the medium light of a regular day. And that is Tuesday. And so that is sort of where that concept um, of simply Tuesday comes from is what does it look like to walk with Jesus into the next ordinary moment? Mm, yeah. And I want to, I want to talk about that. And I'm for some reason reminded of Popeye's friend, uh, Wimpy, <laughs> who, do you remember he always wanted to borrow money for a cheeseburger? Yeah, he did. And his, and his catchphrase was, I'll gladly repay you on Tuesday. On Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder um, if he ever did. Why? <laughs> I don't know. Why did I just come up with that reference? I just, <laughs> but you're right. Tuesday is kind of the, the, the day you d that's got nothing going for it. Yeah, and it yet, is. In a sense, it's, it's a day where we can connect with God. So on, on, by the way, again, for listeners, it's, the book is called Simply Tuesday, Small Moment Living in a Fast Moving World. Uh, page 14, 
this one jumped off at me off the page. Uh, the kingdom of God exists right here in the moments where we live. It's the, the kingdom of God. I think you said elsewhere is something like it's, it's uh, something about our feet, one inch above our feet or something above the ground. One inch or, above the ground. Yeah. 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 Talk about that. Well, you know, it's funny because one of my favorite movies growing up and still, honestly, is The Wizard of Oz. And, you know, at the beginning, Dorothy talks about somewhere over the rainbow, that's where dreams come true. And I think because I love that movie so much as a kid, I think growing up, you know, meeting Jesus and walking with Jesus, I think I sort of thought of heaven as somewhere over the rainbow. And I think maybe that's kind of, you know, cute or whatever. But I think when we consider life with God, probably a lot of people think of heaven as up, way up. And I was in a conversation with someone once, and I honestly wish I could remember who it was, but I don't. It just is sort of one of those stories in my head that I remember. But they said, what if heaven was up, but what if it wasn't so far up? What if it was just one inch above the ground? And I've thought about that ever since, because I think, you know, that would make heaven right here among us. And that's sounds theologically sound if you think about the way Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. I know that the kingdom of God is maybe not only heaven, but when I hear the term the kingdom of God, sometimes I think we automatically go to, well, it's just, it's way out there. It's up. It's away from where we are, but that's not how Jesus talked about it. And so the, when the Pharisees asked him, well, where, you know, when are we going to see that? Or where, where are we going to see your kingdom? And, and Jesus said, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. People aren't going to say here it is, or there it is, but it's in your midst. And so if that's true, how does that change the way we walk into our everyday moments, the, the hard ones, the beautiful ones, and honestly, just the regular ones, the Tuesday kind of ones. And I think for me, sometimes it's easier for me to trust God in the really difficult times than it is in just like the ordinary times. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think what you said, you know, theologically and biblically, that's that's 100% accurate because in Matthew's gospel, the preferred term is the kingdom of the heavens, and it's literally pr plural. And I remember when Dallas Willard pointed that out to me, and the reason is in Jewish cosmology, there were different levels of heaven. The, the first level of heaven is the heaven in our, in, our, in our midst, right? So like at Jesus' baptism, it says, and the heavens were opened, and the Spirit descended like a dove. Like, well, how far away was that? I remember yeah. Dallas asking our class, how far away? And I remember we were all sitting there going, I don't know, 30 yards, 20 yards, you know? <laughs> He's like, well, it was close enough to hear and see. So, yeah. and uh, and that idea of of the kingdom here now in in our midst really changes everything. I mean, you, you see it also in the stoning of Stephen. I think in Acts seven or eight it says the heavens were open and Jesus appeared to him there. And then when P uh, Peter's on Cornelius's roof, it says the heavens were opened and the the sheet descends with the unclean animals and whatever. So you know, it, biblically, it really is true to say. That, that there is a level of heaven is right here in our midst. In fact, in Jewish cosmology, there were three levels. One was the level, the heaven of the atmosphere. The other one is celestial heaven of the stars. And then the third would be beyond our sight, which is where God is. And then some rabbis actually divided it up into seven levels. And that's where we get that phrase, seventh heaven. But, but nonetheless, uh, it's here now. And that really changes everything. Um, and for me personally, Emily, I mean, where it, where it impacts my life with God is that that sacred secular dichotomy that I tend to fall into. Like, well, I'm now I'm having a devotional time, and it's <laughs> I, I lit a candle, and Jesus is here, and we're doing sacred stuff, and then I'm going to go watch 
Monday Night Football and now I'm being secular, but when you, when you realize that the heavens are all around, you just, you can't make that separation anymore. And that is, that, isn't that the journey of our lives is having those two things come ever closer together. I feel like that is my everyday reality is what does it mean for me not to dissect my life into these two sections? Because that is the very thing. And that's the beauty of, um, like just recently I heard Jan Johnson talk about how, you know, we have our quiet time, as she would say in the morning (laughs) and learning to rethink that, that it's the purpose of that is so that we will keep God ever before us as we move throughout our day. It's not so that we can check something off of the list. Man, that's not how I learned about a quiet time when I was in the 10th grade and youth ministry, you know, it's just, it was very much a, here is my sacred time. And now Hopefully that will make me a better person for when I move into my secular time. But I don't, I just think maturity is is learning how to mold those two things together. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I I just came from a a staff meeting, a business meeting, and several times I consciously reminded myself that that this was sacred ground, that, that the people that I'm talking to are sacred beings that God, that infinite love created, right? That they're, and that, that things we're talking about are, are of value. I remember Dallas talking about how uh, grading papers he thought was a sacred act, mm. which for me, it's like, I just want to get through it. But, <laughs> um, but I get that, you know. Um, so let's talk about the bench in your cul-de-sac. Uh, I, I thought that, that story was very insightful. Um, share what that's all about. Yeah. So, you know, we, we live on a cul-de-sac. Some people think we're crazy because um, just two doors down from us is my brother-in-law and his family. And then right next door to him now, as of about a year ago, my mother-in-law lives. So it's the Freeman cul-de-sac. But we do allow other people to live there too. And so some of the neighbors um, have lived there for over 40 years. And so they're, you know, they're getting to where, you know, they can't hang out by the mailboxes probably like they did back when their kids were younger, but they still like to be together. And so when we first moved into this cul-de-sac uh, years ago, our kids were younger and we spent a lot of time um, with cousins and some neighborhood kids out there in the cul-de-sac. But what we discovered was um, it got tiring just kind of standing around out there. And so my mother-in-law decided she was going to buy us some benches so that she, when she came over, she could, um, this is before she moved into to the cul-de-sac, but she went ahead and got us a couple of benches. And so now we could sit out there and watch the kids and we ended up staying out there quite a bit longer because we had just a place to be. But one afternoon I noticed um, our kids had come home from school and they were eating a snack. And I noticed a couple of the ladies who were over 80, I think at the time, now they're into their nineties, but they were, uh, I noticed that they came out of their houses at the same time and they met with one another, three of them there at the benches in the middle of cul-de-sac. And I thought, you know, they they made a plan. They probably called each other and said, let's go out there and meet. So they sat down and I just happened to notice that. And I ended up recognizing that, you know, the kids were doing their snack. I was, we were moving about with our afternoon and they were still out there. So I went out just to say hello. And, um, you know, when I got there, it's funny, they weren't talking about, you know, big things. They were talking about their kids when their kids had still grown up there in the cul-de-sac. They were talking about grandkids. They were talking about Greek food and the weather. I mean, it was nothing life-changing, but I went back inside and I noticed they stayed out there for over an hour. And 
for some reason that day, you know, sometimes pictures just stick in your mind. And I thought, you know, these ladies have been neighbors for over 40 years. And it's not that these benches gave them something to talk about. They already had stuff to talk about, but I'd never seen them out there before. And that's because they didn't have a place to be and a place where they could sit and be together. But the benches provided that. And while that's just sort of a a thing that happened in our neighborhood, I started to that started to sink down into the level of my soul. And I thought about the the areas in my life where I needed a bench to sit on with some people and also areas where I saw that a bench was needed that maybe I'm being called to build. And so there's something about a bench that's very approachable. And, um, you know, I think in, in this world that, you know, that we live in, that is, I think everybody to some extent, whatever their vocation is, there's always a call and a, a feel a, a pull maybe to bigger and better and uh, brighter and something a little bit more impressive. But when you think of a bench, it's like this is just a simple place where we can enter into conversations that are already happening and uh, be with one another. And the bench isn't creating something new. It's just providing a place for people to be and to come and to connect. And so uh, sometimes I think in our world, we are often trying to build ladders in order to climb higher. And I, the question has sort of lingered within me of what would it look like to tear down that ladder and use that wood to build a whole bunch of benches. I love that. That was a great, yeah, that's toward the end of the story. I thought, oh, that's brilliant because we do live in a culture that's all about the ladder. And and uh, and yet I think our souls hunger for the bench. I mean, we yeah. we want that connection with with people, I see it in churches all the time where people get in a, a group and uh, they'll be together for a year. Like, well, I hear back a lot because maybe they use some of my books in their studies <laughs> and they're done with the books and they go, what do we do now? We, we don't want to stop being together. Yeah. Uh, so they just find other curriculum or something. But the most important thing is that connection that we feel. And I think that's what the, the bench represents, which is really fantastic. Well, you also quote my friend and mentor, Richard Foster, and uh, here's the quote. The discovery of God lies in the daily and the ordinary, not in the spectacular and the heroic. I thought that's a pretty good summary of the book. And to me, yeah. I, I thought that's really what you are unpacking in, in the book. Um, would you agree? I would agree. Richard Foster basically wrote my book in one sentence, so... <laughs> <laughs> if anyone would, you? Be, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I I wrote a book called Embracing Love of God, and at the same time, uh, my good friend Rich Mullins was living the Christian singer songwriter was living in our attic apartment, and uh, and so I I spent like three years writing this book, and in like three months, Rich wrote this <laughs> album that was that had more to say about the love of God than I did, and. <laughs> in my, my entire book, but so no, but I mean, but what your book does is it unpacks that quote. Cause that quote, you just go, Oh, that's a nice quote. But what your book does is it gives, it just fleshes it out. Yeah. And that's why I think it's so important. I also love the section about the church calendar. I mean, I'm the longer I live as a Christ follower and I love the church. The church is, is near and dear to me, but the more I appreciate uh, the church calendar, because I think it, it invites us into the big story that we're a part of, and we just keep telling that that same story. And I love that. But what I thought was most fascinating was your use of of ordinary time. So, explain to the listeners what what you mean by that. Maybe you should say something about the calendar for those who aren't 
that familiar with it. Yeah. Well, honestly, Jim, it's only been in the last couple of years and even in the writing of this book that I became familiar with the church calendar. You know, growing up, it was like, I mean, everything was the same. All days were the same, except right, me too. Easter was different and Christmas was different, but it was no different really than like the 4th of July. You know, it's just, it was kind of um, just what I knew. And so only when I started to, honestly, I started meeting with a spiritual director about four years ago. It was the first day of Lent, actually. And I remember when I met with her, um, it, she said something about it being the first day of Lent. And and I remember thinking like, mm, I should look that up. <laughs> I, should, I should know what she means by that. And I, I had heard of it. And I sort of, we had just started going to a church that um, observed Lent and that had, you know, a, a service for it and the whole thing. But that was sort of the beginning of me understanding. But I think that process of going, of walking with my spiritual director, who I still meet with um, today, and seeing the the way that my, the process that my own soul was going through, which at the time I think was sort of a, a winter season or a, a quiet or a silent season, it helped me to recognize like, oh, as we follow the life of Christ through the calendar year, this is something that he's familiar with. You know, there's a time of, of, uh, the Advent time of waiting and of looking forward to something, but that's not quite here yet. Um, and then, you know, all the way through the Christmas time, which by the way, I didn't know that the 12 days of Christmas started on Christmas. I always thought it was a countdown to Christmas. Right. You know, yeah, that's right. Um, and so the fact that, which was, it's really delightful when I learned that because then I thought, oh, I don't have to be sad on December 26th. I get to keep celebrating. <laughs> so it used to be. You can get a partridge in a pear tree. Partridge. And listen, my mom <laughs> is like, she's the mom who would take the Christmas tree down on Christmas day night because she was like ready for Whoa. it to be done. She's like, okay, well that we did that moving on. You know, she's such like a closer downer and she's, she's great, but you know, Needless to say, we didn't wait till Epiphany <laughs> to do the whole Christmas thing. So, so this has been a new sort of. Um, I'm definitely not one to teach it yet, but <laughs> it's been a new experience for my own spiritual formation of 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 understanding um, what it means these different these different uh, seasons and times of the year. And it just seems like half the year has a lot going on, and the other half of the year is literally named ordinary time. It's like there's there's nothing there as far as like what we quote unquote celebrate. And it's interesting to me that, that there's more time in ordinary time than there is in the time that has days that are marked, if that makes any sense. And that really rings true to me with our experience of life, because really most of life happens in the midst of ordinary time. Right, absolutely. I mean, yeah. It, when when you made that that point, and I thought, yeah, ordinary time, because there's two sections of ordinary time. When you put them together, it actually is is more than all the the feasts and festivals and the focus on on the story, which is which is I love that. I mean, I think that's that's brilliant. And I'm I, like you, I've grown into loving the church calendar because I think, you know, the world we live in is, is pressed in on the church so much. I'm going to be preaching now for a second, but, <laughs> you know, because we, I mean, in, in many churches, Protestant evangelical churches, you'll hear more about Mother's Day and, as you said, Fourth of July and yes. it's Valentine's Week. You know, all these sort of secular uh, festivals enter into the church. And, you know, I think the church is called to be from another world. And so what the calendar does for me is it helps me 
realize that we're a part of some ancient story that's bigger than us. And that's the story I want to, when I go to church, that's what I want to step into. And I really appreciate that, but I'd not seen that about ordinary time. So that was, that was brilliant. So you grew up in Indiana. I did. And that's where my family is from. Is that right? And I think if I was reading carefully, is it Columbus? That's right. Yeah. Wow. My my aunt and uncle uh, lived there for about 40 years. They just left. No. I think they're in North Carolina. I think you're in your state now, North Carolina. My uncle Steve and my aunt M. You have an aunt M? I have an <gasps> auntie M, just like the Stop. wizard. Yep. Oh, this. I knew we were friends. Yes. I knew that this right. was meant to be. Well, and then I, I read that you, the, the elementary school you went to was named after me, right? That, Smith Elementary School, yeah. yeah I picked That's up right. on that. So <laughs> another connection. I love it. Yes. Um, so I have an, another quote to read from the book. This one's on, from page 69, and I got to actually go to the actual book because I didn't have it written out. And this one comes from our the good Dr. Willard, and you, and he, you quote him as saying here, uh, taking the easy yoke is to lay aside our projects uh, or my projects, which are crushing. And this is where leaders come under intolerable pressure. It's because they are carrying their projects. They presume to take God's projects and make them their projects. That one really slayed me because, gosh, I live there so much where I, I think I've got the burden of all these projects. And... um and that's just absurd because <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, Dallas named it. It's really God's projects that, that we're to be a part of. I remember him saying several times that, you know, you don't have a ministry. You're just participating in Jesus ministry. <laughs> and that was very freeing yeah. for me because I think we get under that, that incredible burden uh, and, and don't realize that uh, back to life in the kingdom, life in the kingdom is supposed to be uh, the yoke is easy and the burden is light. Uh, but it, say more about why you chose to, because that's the epigraph, which is the yeah. fancy name for the opening quote of a chapter. Uh, why did you include that quote? Well, once again, you know, when someone can write your whole book in a paragraph, you got to include it, um, which I feel like obviously he did. But it's funny, not as funny, haha, but it's funny, interesting. When I was in a season of, I think, doing the very thing he said there not to do, sort of carrying the weight of of be, being an outcomes manager. You know how sometimes you take on that, like, oh, this is my new job. I am a manager of outcomes. And I was in a season of doing that. And and when you do that for long enough, it leads nowhere good. And so I found myself sitting across from a longtime mentor of ours who lives locally. His name is Steve Lynham. And I sort of poured out all my woes and whatnots and wherefores and all the things that were sort of running me into the ground. And I remember him just joyfully receiving my words and then handing me back one phrase that sort of started to change how I saw that job of being an outcomes manager. And he, what he said was he just invited me to celebrate my smallness. And when he said that, it sounded like terrible news because (laughs) when you have a lot to do, the last thing you want to feel like is a child. But uh, my a, a mentor friend of mine, Wes Stafford, who used to be the president of Compassion International, who has devoted his life to children, 
around the world living in poverty and releasing them from poverty in Jesus' name. Wes once said in a book, and I've heard him say it in person, that um, Jesus never told children to grow up, but he often told grownups to become like little children. Mm. And so as I carried that phrase from Steve around with me in the weeks and months following that conversation, it really started to transform um, how I saw that feeling of being out of control. And instead of fighting it slowly, and I'm still learning this, I've started to embrace it and uh, sit down on the inside with my friend Jesus and celebrate the fact that I am small and that that's exactly where he wants me to be. And so that can apply to so many areas. But again, it brings me back to that bench place. You know, where where do we find benches at parks, you know, on the side of streets? They're never in center stage. Um, they're sort of on the sidelines. And that's kind of where we're invited into, but it's a glad, it's not a side, it's not a uh, pushing aside. It's a glad invitation to mm. allow Jesus to uh, do what he does best. And like you said, we get to be a part of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. One of those, the three conditions of entering the kingdom is to become like a child. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, that's so important. Again, what I love about your book, Simply Tuesday, is how it it is counter to the culture that's more about, it's about bigger, better, faster, all that sort of thing. And you know, I also loved, the, I, I'd never heard the Ray Romano story Yeah, uh, that I, apparently he told on Oprah about the, um, the, it was a letter, right? His brother gave him a, a note or something um, yeah. that basically said, have a great time with the show. But when he started the show, uh, Everybody Loves Raymond. It, you want to quote it or me? You, no, you quote it. You, you're on a roll, man. Do it. I'm gonna, <laughs> it's something to the effect of, uh, hey, have a great time with the show, but but remember, what does it profit for a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul, which is quoting Jesus. And I love that he kept that uh, that note throughout the entire, whatever, eight or nine seasons yeah. of the show. Um, how did that speak to you? Well, the irony of it was when he told the story on Oprah the audience burst into applause. And to me, I thought, okay, hold, please. This is a moment that everything about that note was saying, don't seek the applause. (laughs) And remember, remember who you are and where you belong. And I don't know what Ray Romano's beliefs are. I don't know, but but I think that's what that that's what that is saying is put first things first. And the irony, it was so interesting to me that here's someone who has um, Ray Romano, someone who has at that time, I think it was the end of the show and they were celebrating the show's ending. And so he had reached a certain level of success and had done it because of his talent. And, you know, people recognize that. And so when they heard that quote, when they heard him share that quote, it was like they recognized a humility and they applauded it. And yet they did it because he had achieved a certain level of success in the world's eyes. But there are people all over the world who would never be on the stage with Oprah who are remembering that and living that way and no one's applauding it. You know, it's it was just a it was an interesting, like a brief flash in the pan moment in my in my head to say, yes, that's the type of thing we should be clapping for. And every mm. now and then we get to see it on Oprah, but usually we don't. You know, usually that's not what we clap for. But it was almost like 
for a, about 10 seconds, all was right with the world. <laughs> like, yes, this is, I remember a, a time I went to a, a football game, a college football game, and it was at sunset and it was, I think it was USC, not California, but South Carolina I used to live in Columbia, South Carolina. And, um, and I was walking up the stairs, like at, you know, how you, you have to walk up the back and you could look over the parking lot, but I could hear the team coming out to that. Um, what is that song? 2000, what is it? Dun, 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 you know, you, you don't want me to sing, but it's like this boom, boom, boom. It's like this amazing, you know, it kind of lifts the stands and everyone's cheering. Well, I wasn't in the stadium yet, but the sun was setting behind the stadium. And so I was walking up the stairs and I looked over the parking lot and I saw the sun setting, but I heard what I heard was the music for the football team. And it was like, oh yes, this, this is what that music should be for is for the sunset. But in reality, mm. that sunset happens every single day since the beginning of time. And it usually doesn't get, uh, you know, a uh, soundtrack, but that would be the soundtrack that it should get. And I think sometimes as we're paying attention, we see we see the kingdom in these small moments. And I feel like the Lord, however weird my brain works, sometimes he gives me those moments of like, yes, this, this is, these are the truths. These are the truths that should be applauded. And every now and then they really are, which helps me sort of conceptualize this is the reality. We don't always live in what is real according to the kingdom, but sometimes we get to see a little glimpse. Wow. That's, that's incredible. Well, again, the book is simply Tuesday, um, small moment, small moment living in a fast moving world. Let's talk a little about your podcast because, um, you know, you're a writer for many years. You, you blogged for a long time. You're writing books. Why did you want to do a podcast? That's a great question, Jim, and maybe I can answer it. I think it's a weird thing happening. After I wrote Simply Tuesday, it came out um, in the fall of 2015, and I think I'd, I'd written four books in five years, which when I was in it, it felt normal. And I look back and I think, that was crazy town. What was I thinking writing that? But I had stuff to say, but I think it was just, I, I had some time of quiet after that as far as creatively. I was creative in my head, but I wasn't really sharing a whole lot. And and then um, I joined the scripture reading team at our church. And so um, just maybe once a month, I would read scripture. And then after reading scripture, our worship pastor invites us to say, this is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true. And it's given to us in love. And there was something really powerful, not only about reading scripture when it was my turn to read, but also hearing people read scripture out loud with that, this is the word of the Lord afterwards. It was just like a sacred, really beautiful um, moment for me each week. And so I think that started my love of sort of this something in me wanted to speak out. And that's the easiest way I can think to say it. And so, but when I started uh I sort of started tossing around this idea in my head about a book about making decisions um, because I recognized that um, nothing gets my attention. Well, probably some things could, but nothing gets my attention in some ways like an unmade decision. When I got something I got to decide about, let me tell you, I am like looking for advice. I am praying. I'm listening. I'm reading books. I'm Googling how to make a decision. And so, which is not the greatest way to make a decision in case you were wondering. <laughs> but I recognized that in me. And I thought, you know, if I'm that way, probably a lot of people are. And so I thought that would be my next book at the time, but it wasn't coming out as a book. 
it was coming out like it wanted me to speak it. I, I don't even know how else to say it, but sometimes, um, and and I think anyone who is a writer or a musician, you know, if you have that sort of maker bent, you kind of if you listen to what the art wants to be, sometimes it wants to be something different than you planned. And if you try to force it into a different container, it just leads to frustration. And so I sort of thought, well, man, if only there was a medium where I could just speak words out and, you know, they would be received by people. Well, there is, it's called a podcast. (laughs) And so that's sort of how that started was um, me recognizing I had some things I wanted to explore and they weren't really fully realized, but um, I wanted to sort of talk them through. And so that is sort of how, how it started. That's, that's fascinating. That's, that's really this, the same path I was on. So for a year, um, having written a, a lot of books and done crazy things like you did, right, a bunch in a short time. <laughs> um, so I, I, I know what that feels like. But I did feel like the, the medium of a podcast is, is different than, than a book. It's, it's, um, there's a way you can connect with it in, 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 in differently than reading. And, uh, and so when I listen to your podcast, which again, is called the next right thing, which listeners should listen to. <laughs> um, it, it, I mean, it's, it was just like, yeah, that's, this is a great use of Emily's gift of communication through this medium. Uh, it's, it's, it's perfectly designed for what you're doing. So congratulations on that. I know you've had greater success than you, than you thought. I've heard you say on a couple of podcasts, like you didn't know if anybody would listen. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. They are. They are. (laughs) are. And I'm grateful. Yeah. 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 Isn't that wonderful? It is. It's good. So one last thing to ask about, um, thus far on this podcast, I have failed to pitch anything, (laughs) but I do, you know, at a certain point you say, well, I need to let people know about stuff we're doing. And one thing that we're doing here at Friends University and the Apprentice Institute is a master's class, uh, Master of Arts in Christian Spiritual Formation and Leadership. And Emily is in the program. Yes, sir. Like halfway. Halfway. So tell, tell some listeners about your experience with that. Well, it's, it's interesting because it ties in really interestingly with the podcast because that decision that I really was trying to decide about and figure out was whether or not I should enter into this master's program at Friends. And I was carrying that question along in in front of me thinking I really had a pull and I looked at different programs around, um, but but I really felt pulled to this this school in the middle of Kansas. And as I read the descriptions of, of all the classes, it was like, you know, that feeling you get when it's like my heart sped up and I'm reading these descriptions and I'm telling my sister and my husband about these, these courses. And, and they're looking, my husband understood, my sister looked at me like, wait, what, what do you mean? Like, it was such a foreign thing. And I realized like, you know, the things that make one one girl come alive might not be for someone else, but it was interesting as I processed it with people. Um, I, I noticed how how I was making that decision. So on the one level, I was thinking about this decision of school, and then beneath that, I was like, oh, "Look at this! Look how decision making is really making me run to Jesus real close, <laughs> trying to figure out what I should do." But um, this this uh, experience so far, I mean, it's been about a year now, and. You know, I tell people, they're like, well, what are you learning? And it's such a big 
question, but I, I feel like two things. One is I don't talk about going back to school because that makes it sound like I missed something the first time around. And I don't think I did. So I like to talk about it as, and if, and if you're an adult thinking about going uh, into school, I think of it as I'm going forward to school. And so I, mm. I went forward to Friends University um, because that just seemed like the next right thing for me to do um, with my friend Jesus. And honestly, it was just I don't have an end goal. And I think that sometimes when people are trying to make this decision, they think that that unless they have like a clear like, well, I cannot get job A unless I do thing B. And then that's the way they make a decision. But I don't know that God always really moves us like that. I think he works on the level of our desire a lot more often than we care to admit. And so as we are willing to listen to desire, um, I think some really beautiful things can happen. And that's how it's been for me with this decision of enrolling in friends. And so that's the first thing. And I think the second thing is this program as a whole, um, both the the in-person gatherings that we have twice a year with our cohort and then um, the, the classes that we're taking online. Honestly, to sum it up, Jim, it's teaching me how to walk into a room. It's teaching me how to uh, remember that I am a leader, whether or not I'm in charge, because Christ lives within me. And the way that I walk with him into rooms can really change things. Um, and and I'm learning, we just were finishing up a class with Jan on spiritual direction and um, just learning to have a spiritual direction posture, a listening posture in every interaction. Um, man, that is, it has been really transformative. So I don't know if that's what you're looking for, but those are some tidbits about my experience. I want it to be everything you just described. So that's fantastic. And one reason I'm so glad you're in the program, Emily, is I got to know you because yeah. if you weren't in the program, I wouldn't have known you. I wouldn't have listened to the podcast. I wouldn't have gotten the book. And um, so awesome. Uh, it is It is a great program. And we have some great teachers, man. Scott McKnight and J.R. Briggs and Jan Johnson, you mentioned, and... Brian Zahn, Shane Claiborne. It's just, I love it's it. It's so good. Um, yeah. And listen, Jim, yeah. you need to talk, you need to talk about it more. It's not because it's so, um, it's like a, it's a gift, you know, to people, people have to know about this. I'm going to get bossy. You got to talk about it. Okay. Yeah, I know we are a little under the radar, <laughs> so <laughs> we need to, what, don't hide your light under a bushel or whatever Jesus had said about that's right. that. Yeah. So yeah, we, I think that's right. We're at a time we need to let more people know. So maybe the, this podcast will help with that. So um, Emily, it's been just great having you and I loved our discussion and I feel like I learned even more about the book and what you're, what you're getting at. So um, thank you for being on the, on the podcast. It's been my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed our very first Things Above Conversation podcast with Emily P. Freeman. I think she's just a fascinating person and, uh, and does a, a great job in her her podcast, The Next Right Thing, as well as her book, Simply Tuesday, and other books that she's written. Uh, I think she has a lot of things to say that are thoughts from above. So I hope you joined that, enjoyed that uh, time. Also, uh, she mentioned being in the master's program here at Friends University in Christian Spiritual Formation. Uh, you can check that out and learn more about that on our website, apprenticeinstitute.org. And for those of you maybe not wanting a, a fully accredited master's degree but want to really grow in your discipleship, we also have an adult certificate program in discipleship and formation, and um, it's called the Apprentice Experience. So if you go to that same website, apprenticeinstitute.org, you can learn more about that as well. And they're both fantastic. They coincide together. 
in the residencies, and I think they're just great. Again, if you enjoyed this episode, uh, please like it, share it, subscribe it, whatever, uh, any way to um, get the word out about what we're doing here. Um, I'm excited about it. And as always, I hope that uh, one day if someone says, hey, what's on your mind? You'll say, things above. <laughs>